0: All right, so Mike, how about we talk about warp bolters and demon princes some more?
1: I mean, I do love warp bolters and demon princes, not necessarily together, but sometimes they're good together too. I'm just going to go shoot
0: myself now. We're back for another episode. I was just uh, basically out under a case of Nurgle, uh, getting me this past yeah. week. Welcome
1: back to the land of the mostly living. Yes,
0: it feels good. Um, yeah, change is good. Uh, <laughs> change is good. Uh, just ever changing. <laughs> uh, so I, I unfortunately uh, at BAO uh, not this uh, this past weekend, but about a week ago uh, today unfortunately the very last day of my time there i got sick and uh that was kind of a um unfortunate ending to an otherwise very good weekend uh in san francisco Uh, so figured we could probably jump into that event which was won by custodies
1: that is kind of surprising given the uh current i guess meta as it's been represented
0: Yeah, so the thing that uh, was working really good were the new Gladius tanks that they have. Um, And they were apparently uh, very strong. Uh, One of the guys uh, from here in Houston, uh, Colin Coons, actually had, I think, three of them. Uh, And he, I think, was the only person or maybe one of two people that beat Don uh, Huson uh so he had a we were all kind of rooting for him that was a that was a good win for him in that match yeah and uh but otherwise the the gladiuses were apparently just wreaking havoc and were just super super strong um, <laughs> if you're not familiar yeah. with them what they basically do is they give you minus two to your charge on them uh and then mm-hmm. on top of that they just have an incredible amount of uh daca uh,
1: yeah effectively take a repulsor slap on about twice as many Guns and the got Gladius that is actually a really cool model
0: it is It looks amazing. I really do like it. then um, mm-hmm. they do look cool on the table too. They are rather big but um, so that was the top echelon of the of the games uh, me unfortunately, uh, I did not have a good event, so the first uh, match I drew was actually against um, a combination of some Cadians and uh, I think it was Katachan. And it was a guard, pretty much just a straight up guard matchup. And he had a, I think he had two armigers in the backfield. I think he had a brigade. And um, actually, I'll go ahead and give me one second, Mike. I'll look this up real quick.
1: Yeah, so I guess while we're on David's intermission, uh, I guess I'll go over the Gadias because this thing's actually really mean. So effectively, it has the luxury of having either a twin-linked las cannon that rerolls wounds versus vehicles, or a twelve-shot auto cannon that um, also rerolls versus vehicles. Um, has a heavy eight strength eight option. In fact, if you think of it as a powerful plasma cannon, and it also comes with a twin-linked heavy bolter or oh, bolt cannon because it's a higher strength and better AP. Yep, uh, addition, invulnerable save. Doesn't take penalties for firing heavy weapons on the move. And the gravitic backwash <clears throat> that was mentioned before giving the subtracts to the chargeable. Something to look out for is that effectively, because of the way this thing's rules work, um, it's really rough for a lot of what Thousand Suns are packing because it's just this mean long range anti-tank weapon that uh, can pop pretty much whatever it wants, uh, fairly reliably. Um, the only thing to, to keep in mind Zingors is that. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: Sorry. I was going to say, when you want to get those Zingors in there, that that, mm-hmm. that like reduction in charge distance is huge mm-hmm. uh, because now you're at, even with your Brayhorn, you're still at plus one. So trying to deep strike in, you're at a 10. You got to roll a 10 there, bud. Yeah. So Good luck with that.
1: So the one thing to keep in mind about it is if they are running the, I guess the heavy 12 option, uh, all this dust does work against it. So you'll have a better invuln save than you otherwise get.
0: So that I'm is a good observation.
1: Is nice. So I do think the uh, accelerator cannon, which is the plasma option, will probably be seeing more play because it's the more middle of the road option.
0: Yeah, it does make me wonder why custodies, uh, to your point, like why they're suddenly just kind of making a comeback. And it, I, I wonder if it's just that if you're going to see more knights, I wonder if the higher, um, the, their higher resistance or their, their really good invuln saves they have all o- all across the board um, help a lot with uh, just shedding the really high damage, low volume shots and yeah. just kind of counters that meta a little bit.
1: I think it's twofold. One, with the shift to more elite armies, custodies perform very well in that meta. But um, the other thing is that. The, effectively, with the release of the PDFs for all of the Forge World custodies units, their codex effect- doubled. Um, and they get a bunch of very potent options um, that they didn't have before, including the Caladius. So, uh, did you get that piece of paper, you, or the, the uh, I app did. up? I Fantastic. did. Thank you,
0: Mike. Uh, You're welcome. So- so my first match was against Timothy Dierdorf. He's actually uh, one of the Brohammer guys. It was a fantastic game. Both of us, I think, enjoyed the game. Uh, maybe, maybe not quite as good for him because it wasn't a win for him. But um, he was a he was a real joy to play against. Um, <clears throat> basically, he's he had two tank commanders. Sorry, three tank commanders, mm-hmm. um, and he, I believe, had a brigade here uh, where he had a ah yeah 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 okay. So three tank commanders, uh, one of them had Emperor's Wrath, um, he had three guard squads, uh, he had five Bulgrins, um, he had a Priest, three Hellhounds, two Wyverns, a Vulture, uh, and then he had a, an Imperial Knights uh, super heavy detachment that had uh, two armigers uh, and one Knight Crusader. So at the end of the day, looking at this, this did not look like a good matchup for me on paper um basically because he's got those nasty looking hellhounds he's got um wyverns in the backfield to really uh kind of do some work against me um and he also had uh those bulgrins which when they come up and get in your face man both bulgrins you you just do not want to get one-on-one with bulgrins in combat especially with like a Mm -hmm. prince or something like that because i think the bulgrins will pretty much just go right through them uh, yeah. yeah, he also he also had a priest with him, but um, I think one of the advantages I actually did have uh to my army was the fact that in this matchup, it was the um, I think it's the spearhead assault, which is the pointy ha- hammer and anvil deployment, mm-hmm. and the benefit of that is um, I had uh, las cannons now it, it, instead of crack missiles in my three cast space marine squads. And I will say that that was probably a very good change that I made coming out of uh, San Antonio. And it showed in this matchup because right away with their long range, I was able to pick off, um, I believe it was a Hellhound. And I think on top of that, there was maybe a guard squad uh, that got picked off in the very begin- beginning. Beginning. Uh, so he was left with like two hellhounds. and I think even one of the hellhounds ended up getting kind of wounded. And those were my, those were the first things that I was really worried about. And I am pretty sure that first and second round, it was actually kind of a light kill round because he didn't kill very much against me. And I think all I got was maybe one kill against him. Uh, so it was pretty much just kind of like maneuvering and and figuring out where things were going. Turn two is where things just really got um, crazy where my lord of change was able to get up um, in his face and get I believe I got a d6 infernal gateway off and that was on uh, it hit at least like two or three sorry at least three plus units uh, that were all just really tightly grouped together this is kind of one of the things I've learned works really good against uh, big gun lines is you pull off like an infernal gateway even if you're just doing d3 to each unit if you can get at least like two or three units grouped together, that's multiple, you know, wounds you're just dishing out there. And when you get a D6 one, it's incredible. Um, Even when you're hitting Guardsman units, that's just, I mean, you're just wiping guardsmen right off the table with that thing. And it's just one spell. Mm -hmm. Um, So that actually was, I think, one of the big things that happened in that game. And then in the backfield with my scourged uh, Chaos Space Marines, they actually, I think, were probably my MVPs in this game where they – Um, they were taking out um, Hellhounds uh, remotely, just firing pop shots at Hellhounds and Tank Commanders and getting behind his line uh, so that it didn't matter that I had Smites come in his way um, and that his Tank Commanders were sitting back there. It was really just, you know, they're going to take fire and they're going to get weakened. um, And then it just, once the uh, Lord Discordance got into combat, it was all over. I mean, they got in there um, and they basically just got within range of them where um, they would basically go through almost an entire tank commander just on their own, just soloing. Um, And so what was essentially left, I think, turn three or four, uh, I had killed all the hellhounds, all the tank commanders, um, and I think the only thing left was a wyvern, uh, two wyverns, I think, and the hellverns and the crusader. Uh, The bulgruns came up and tried to fight the Lord Discordance um, and what I ended up doing um, was I think countering with my other blob of Zangors that was in reserve. And I just basically threw them at the Bulgrins to tie them up and yeah. just kind of hold them in place while I smited them or threw death hex on them and just kind of tried to hit them with some last cannons or whatever. <laughs> um, and that was pretty much how I dealt with the Bulgren. And um, I think it pretty much just at that point that once the Lord discordance got rolling, um, it got really, really bad because they would kill a tank commander, heal themselves, uh, pile into the next tank commander. That tank commander would then have to fall back, right? Mm-hmm. He's trying to get out of combat, that kind of thing. Um, and it just became this really, once they touch, it's kind of the Achilles heel of guard. Once you touch them, it's kind of over for them. Um, yeah. And that kind of that kind of was the case. Once his the stuff I was scared of charging, the Hellhounds, were gone, uh, it was game on. And the Crusader just wasn't enough to... Um, you know, it did good work. I think it at least killed, uh, one of the Lord Discords. but, uh, by the, by the end of it, they had just chewed through vehicles, healed themselves, gotten to the Crusader, gotten to the Helverns. Those were all gone. Uh, and really he was just left with like a Wyvern sitting in the corner and that was it. And, um, th- you know, at that point it, it had really snowballed and I just kind of took over the board. Uh, the, yeah. the big bird did go down. Uh, But I think he ended up taking so much firepower that it was kind of one of those, you know, gotcha moments where Mm. I I think it's one of those things where you realize, yeah, he's really tanky until you start firing at him. You realize, no, he's really, really tanky. Like he will just keep taking shots over and over and over again. And you just, he just doesn't die. So So that was the first game and it went really well and I was feeling pretty good. Um, And then, you know, we're out, we go out to lunch after the first game and you know we're sitting there and then pairings go up just before we're about to head back and um, i go and find myself in the pairing app and lo and behold i'm playing mr jim vessel so i was uh i was pretty much knowing that this was going to be a very tough match Uh, because if you don't know who jim is jim is pretty much mr 40k right now he is uh, top of the leaderboards in the championships. Uh, he's won multiple, multiple, uh, majors earlier this year. Um, he, he pretty much could just take a back seat for the rest of the year and probably still have a chance at winning, uh, the ITC season here just because of how good he's done. Um, and his list is mostly a, um, a, a, a mostly a big blob of, uh, you know, two big blobs of plague bearers that sit, um, out in front. And, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> he just takes turns buffing them with his Poxpringer, uh, <coughs> that Slopity Biopiper that's there. So when you do kill a few, he's rolling 2d6, and then there, you know, of course, there's going to be a one in there, and he's, you know, regenerating Plaguebearers left and right. Um, he then has Eremon, uh, a few Demon Princes, Sorcerer and Terminator armor, and then he's got that Sea Beam contemptor that sits in the back. Um, our game, would you Vanguard Strike? Um, there was this really funny, uh, wall that kind of sat dividing the very middle of the board. And unfortunately there was just a little bit of the objective, um, that was able to be reached from right underneath the, or right up against the wall. And he put his nurglings right out in front there on the objective. Yeah. My counter was to try and fly the, um, with all his casters, I tried to put my, um, lord of change right up in front because if he's gonna take some psychic powers and some smites that's the guy that you know he's got plenty of wounds to take it on um, and i can get plus two to deny on at least uh, i think three powers or two powers uh whatever the lord of change denials are mm-hmm. um, so i have a very good chance at um, kind of trying to diminish that and play that psychic battle on him unfortunately um, despite a hilarious um, uh first round of like smites and stuff from him i think I think he, he did six mortal wounds on a total of like eight smites or seven or eight smites. So he just kept rolling ones left and right for all of his smites. And, you know, I was kind of sitting there going, okay, all right, this is, this is good. This is good. This is kind of a, uh, you know, giving me hope. And uh, unfortunately what happened was once he got his stuff on the board, like the rest of his play bearers, um, actually, I think he started both Plague Bearer units on the board, but once he had both, uh, Plague Bearer units, like, up in my face, or up controlling the board, there wasn't really much I could do, because it was really his Plague bears versus my Zangors for board control, and the Plague Bearers are going to win that every day, and, um, to, to make matters worse, um, uh, my three, uh, LAS Cannon Space Marines could not kill the Contemptor in probably (laughs) i think we we wounded him probably you know five or six times with lads cannons and we went about four we actually went the full distance in the round in the game uh but you know in all of those rounds that contemptor was still standing at the end i could not freaking kill that thing um which just i mean that was kind of by round four that was kind of my mission because i knew at that point it had turned big bird was dead um you know, my my psychers and everything else that I had left was just like my. I could see my shield of Zangor's like dying, and I knew that once that was there, once that was gone, the proverbial dam was going to collapse, and then that was that.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, in hindsight, I think I could have probably put the Lord Discordance into the Bears. I didn't, but um, y- you know, I'm I'm still kind of trying to figure those guys out a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you know they're kind of one of those fun things where you just keep spitting attacks out with them but i part of it was i was also worried about the demon princes and i knew that if i put the lord discordance up there into the plague bears, i'd be exposing them and yeah. the demon princes would be able to just basically jump across the line take advantage of it and kill kill the lord discordance
1: mm-hmm. um, and
0: i didn't have very much that would be able to really counter that at the end of the day um, because the the lord Discordants are kind of like my big stompy stompy dudes but you know, maybe maybe in hindsight that was the right thing to do. Um it was a great game. Jim's a, a very, very good player. Um, you know, it really showed I think our final matchup score was thirty to seventeen. Uh so you know, I got soundly beaten. Um, but at least we got the full game in. Um, I really appreciated the, the fact that I got to play against like the best guy in 40k, proverbially right now. So it's a great game with Jim. Um really enjoyed it um, and and again sometimes you just have to learn to appreciate the game um, and that you can you can try to learn some things from what they're doing um, and how they're playing but you know at the end of the day there wasn't anything Jim was doing that surprised me um, and I'm sure there wasn't anything I was doing that surprised Jim uh, it was really just a matter of he knew it is listed and he put it to work I know it is listed and I put everything I could in place to try and stop it and I couldn't and, yeah, you know that's just how it works sometimes. So, mm-hmm. third match was actually I think the best match that I had there. Um, it was against Andrew Whitehead. He has a um, this was a Dark Eldar army, um, and I really liked his army because it was not your traditional um, your your traditional set of uh, you know stuff. So he had um, uh, I had prophets of flesh battalion with Homoculus and Urian Rakar, uh, He had three racks, uh, three squads of 10 racks. Um, he had a, a squad of nine Grotesques. Uh, he had a squad of three Talos. Um, and then he had a battalion of the Cabal of Flayed Skull where he had two Archons, uh, three squads of Calivoit Royers, three Ravagers, uh, a Razorwing, and three Venoms. So, this game was another, I think this one was actually Dawn of War, not Dawn of War, sorry, it was Hammer and Anvil. Mm -hmm. Um, So, it was another long deployment. I think that actually helped me out a little bit, believe it or not, uh, because he had a mostly assault army, except for the Ravagers. Um, Essentially, the way the match played out was that I, I had the Lord Discordance probably played a little bit too aggressive i probably in hindsight what well let's first talk about what i did do uh, this is kind of the opposite of when i was in jim's game and i held them back in this match i sent the three lord Discordants up and i was really looking at it like hey i'm gonna put them into the taloses um, this was a mistake on my part because i assumed that they had the vehicle keyword and that that would have been the right <laughs> do with them not at the end of the day, it's at the end of the day, it still was a good. It's a still good thing to put them into because I mean, the vehicle. You're only really on vehicles. You're getting the minus one to hit from them, but you're also getting the D three mortal wounds from the Technovirus Injector. Yeah. So you get the you get those extra mortal wounds, and um, they still put out so many attacks that they're still very efficient at removing other stuff from the board. Yeah. Um. What I think in hindsight would have worked a lot better was using a Zangor squad as kind of like a an initial wave to hit them with and then letting the Lord Discordants kind of run around knocking knocking down what they wanted to while the Zangors tied other stuff up from you know, feeling the full brunt of other things like the the grotesques and the homunculus and the archons mm-hmm. and stuff. Um yeah. The Ravagers definitely hurt as well. Uh, he had a bunch of stuff actually get through pretty strong against uh, Big Bird. Um, so big, I think Big Bird went at the Taluses as well. Um, and then, the the again, the Chaos Space Marines just whiffed for me. Um, they could not get anything really through. Um, and it had to do with uh, wounding, believe it or not, uh, not. Not hitting, just wounding. And you'd think wounding on threes – You'd be able to wound a lot, but you just you start rolling ones and twos and it happens. Um yeah. so that <clears throat> they basically just kind of did their role and sat in the back. Um Aramon and my sorcerer moved up and I think they were throwing some smites. Um I also in in my list for San Francisco, I had a flux master as well. And It was kind of comical because he went in with the Lord Discordance to give them a boost to their strength. And when the Lord Discordance went down, he was kind of like, run away, run away. And uh, kind of had to run to the backfield behind everything. Um, The game ended up turning out to be a lot closer than it kind of sounds. Um, I had a lot of stuff that just kind of bounced against him and failed. Uh, but, at the same time, I was scoring very well, and I was also denying him quite a few points. There was one moment in the game where I made a very critical mistake. Um, one of the things I recognized before it was too late was the fact that he had his razor wing um, let's Let's think about the board as a rectangle and
1: i mean it is by definition a rectangle
0: yeah good one dave yeah sorry (laughs) Uh, so so i'm trying to basically explain where his razor ring was on the board if you think of it like it was it was in my deployment zone facing off the long part of the board or the short part of the board um he basically had to turn 90 to stay on the board and move his minimum and that was across the short backfield of my board. And one of the things I realized I could have done was simply moved my uh, models that I had there uh, and maybe even dropped a um, uh, a squad of Zangors in there on the ground. And he would not have been able to move that. I basically would have moved blocked the razor wing off the board. Um, mm-hmm unfortunately i did not realize that until after my movement phase was all all done i didn't even spot it and it was one of those things where i kind of i made the mistake of talking myself into still being able to do that but on the next the the next part of the board and using mm-hmm. a combination of doom bolt to have his movement um drop the zangors in there and i kind of explained everything that was going on and you could see andy kind of like yeah if you pull this off this is this is pretty ridiculous. like I didn't even think you could do that and so it it got him really worried, and then I failed to get Doombolt, even with rerolls. I think I rolled like a three on it or something like that I was kind of, mm-hmm. so <clears throat> so that failed, and I think at that point that pretty much cost me the game. Um, that was at least a um a two point swing because of uh as we as we went back through the scores that was at least a two point swing because it was it would have actually given me i think killmore and it would have given me a uh, big game hunter point that would have that would have brought the game up basically to i think a tie uh, because i lost 27-24 and at that point being tied that would have also taken the razor wing out of contention for for the two rounds that we we also played out i think it was turn um, that was actually turn uh, 2 or turn 3 yeah turn 2 sorry it was turn two <clears throat> that I spotted that movement mistake because that's when I was going to bring the Zangors in. And that would have eliminated the Razor Wing turn two. Uh, so he would not have been able to basically fire it or use it for another four rounds. And it actually did do quite a bit of damage to a lot of stuff. Um, Zangors, Chaos Space Marines. I mean, it went around pretty much just annihilating some of the stuff that I had um, just mm-hmm. kind of sitting in the backfield. Had that been gone, I think that probably – that decision to drop that in like that would have possibly won me the game. Um, so I think it's one of those lessons you learn where it's kind of like, look, if you make the mistake, don't chase it and try and, like, make it happen another way um, it, unless it's a very reliable way to do it. Um, the the way I was trying to do it would have been a very, um, uh, I guess, uh, hard w- – or very uh, – Unreliable, well put it that way, or unrealistic way of pulling it off. But had I done yeah. it on, on my backfield, completely different story. Uh so yeah. Anyways, um oh and I think he also had behind enemy lines. So with the razor wing back there, that also would have taken points away for I think two turns um with that. So um aside from that, what ended up happening was I If you think back, I played uh, San Antonio the weekend before. And this was another three games at the start of a major. And so Saturday morning, we pretty much woke up. And I kind of reflected that night on how the tournament went. And I realized that um, at one and two, my overall point standings for ITC, it would have prevented me from getting – uh, any that that tournament basically even if i had gone three and0 the following day um, it i would not have been able to um, get more points from that event than what i had already scored um f- overall like at, at other events like my best five events for ITC mm-hmm. um, i think i would have come in at like 170 or 160 or something which that would be like maximizing my opportunity there yeah um, i think i could have done it but at the same rate, the amount of energy it would have taken to do that. Um, and and not really having a reward at the end of the day, other than playing three more games. And if you consider the fact that, look, I had just played a major the last weekend, um, which was one of the best majors I've ever had. Uh, follow that up with the fact that I'm traveling, I'm tired, I've just played three more games. Um, I, I think I basically just came to the conclusion – I've already gotten everything out of this tournament that I really wanted to. And so on day two, we just pretty much, my playing partner and I, um, he, he was in the exact same situation. Um, and we just kind of woke up Saturday morning and said, hey, you know, let's, uh, why don't we just kind of take it easy and go enjoy San Francisco. Uh, he had never been there. And, you know, I was kind of, both of us were kind of feeling worn out and kind of dragging so he just yeah. Said, yeah, let's, let's go enjoy it. And we did. And I think at the end of the day, we, we both were really happy with that. Um, cool thing was, I think he had the, um, our other buddy, uh, Colin Coons was still playing. Um, we actually had a good contingent from Houston that were there. Uh, but uh, Colin Coons was playing and uh, he was doing very, very well. And so from the stream uh, we were rooting him on and, you know, we've got uh, you know messages getting sent over to him like, Hey, you know, nice job. You can do this. And, you know, kind of giving them them some uh some encouragement but uh you know we were really happy to see him do really well and it's it you know it's really funny when you look at events and how they go sometimes you can go from uh you know having like a 4 and one major uh one weekend exact same army go to the same thing and just try to do it again and look you're gonna go like oh, oh and three you know uh or oh and four whatever and um it's actually really uh, interesting how you can take the same army and just based on matchups, based on mistakes, based on how you play, you know, all those, th- all those factors, the list, it, sh- it really hits home how little the list actually factors in. Um, as long as you kind of have something that's viable, after that, the little, it, it, like those little tweaks you start making, um, don't make the huge adjustments to like, you know, I go from three and two to four and one. Those come from not making mistakes, getting a little bit of luck, and getting good matchups. Those kind yeah. of things. So overall, it was a um, it was actually a really cool event. Um, it was hosted at the Crown Plaza, um, I think. So to give some of my personal thoughts on on BAO, um, I think there was a. M- I mean, either a misjudging or a miss ex, or a miss on expectations on my part of what I was expecting for BAO considering the fact that they had changed it to a to, uh a 3-day like LVO format where it's 3 days uh 3 day or 3 games on Friday 3 games Saturday and then your championship round on Sunday i think that kind of put our expectations up like it was this was going to be uh one of the big like Adepticon, um, SoCal, you know, like 200 plus people, you know, monster major. And the reality was when we got there, it it wasn't anywhere near close to that. Uh, It was probably about, you know, Dallas, the the size of Dallas plus about 30 people or so. So it was, it was about, I think 160 or 170, something like that. So it felt, it did not feel bigger than the majors that we typically have here in Texas. Um, But I think that was not something that was falsely advertised. I want to make sure that I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that was just kind of an interpretation in a field that we got. And, you know, from looking at that, I think our own expectations were like, hey, look, they've got this. This is the format they're using. Um, The growth of all the tournaments is going through the roof. And I think we just kind of, were unfair in our own expectations of, Hey, this is probably going to be really big. And when we got there and it wasn't that big, I think that would, that kind of played into like Sunday, a Saturday and our decision to drop out. I think that played into it a little bit where we just kind of said, look, you know, we just played last weekend. It isn't quite as big as we thought, you know, it's not kind of like we're, you know, really enjoying it as much as uh, you know, we probably would had we not played that previous weekend. Yeah. Uh, so we just kind of we just kind of looked at it. That that was probably the 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 main the main thing that kind of shocked me about the event.
1: So, just a little bit of uh, event fatigue going on there. It sounds like
0: oh for sure. I think definitely burned both of us burned out real bad mm-hmm. uh, from for, from a forty k standpoint. Um, and then uh, you know I'm still I'm, even today I'm still feeling it a little bit. Like I didn't I didn't even though I was recovering from being sick. Uh, mm-hmm. I I am still not at the point where I'm ready to start gaming again so uh, yeah or playing games um but uh the event in itself um the guys the frontline gaming guys obviously they do an amazing job um it runs really smooth um they're they're really easy to work with when you got questions um the, the venue was great uh, the setup the, the terrain was fantastic um i will say that almost every table there had plenty of terrain for infantry to work with. Um, They had plenty of ruins for stuff to jump into. They had magic boxes almost on every table. Um, I thought that that was, and it wasn't overkill. I thought it was just a very tasteful balance of terrain that made it very easy to work with um, and gave you a shot to do something with your army. So uh, definitely hats off to them for that. Um, The venue itself at the Crown Plaza there, it was very convenient to have that right at the airport. San Francisco traffic can be about as bad as Houston's traffic. Um, just trying to get to, from one side to the other can be a nightmare. And yeah. being right there by the airport, you really don't have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. The downside is the area it is in, um, There, there isn't a whole lot in terms of walkable food and stuff in the area. It's kind of like tucked off on this like weird little like exit ramp off of the highway. Um, you can walk to to get food. And I think we did a couple times, uh, but it's about a 10, 10 to 15 minute walk just to get to the point where there's a whole bunch of shops and everything. So, yeah. um, you know, and a uh, coupled with the fact that it was a very rare cold environment there. Um, I, like, I think Sunday it was 54 degrees at most at one point. And we're flying back the next day and it's like over 90 degrees here in Houston. Mm. Uh, you know, that's, that's a little bit of shock to your system, but. Um, yeah overall it was pretty cool uh they had uh th- this was the first year they had it with a- another convention called Kublai Khan. um I was disappointed in the fact that they ran it more disconnected it was kind of like KublaCon said oh yeah you can be a part of it but uh you guys just stay over there in that hotel and do your thing and I didn't get a <laughs> sense of like because it was at two hotels that you could walk back and forth between gotcha i didn't get i didn't get a sense of like unity between the two events at all um there mm-hmm. wasn't like a big showing of the cubacon folks there and uh vice versa it wasn't kind of like going over to cubacon i could i could get a sense that there's lots of tabletop gaming or anything like that so yeah. um you know that disappointed me a little bit um and then uh finally the the i i've heard other people mention this and i will also echo it the food at the hotel was um yeah, it was not good, not
1: good, so overall, disappointing.
0: overall, I would go back, uh, mostly because the days that we spent going out and doing stuff in San Francisco, there's actually really good things to do there, um, and it's, it's okay to do it, <laughs> you could, you could stretch a couple days taking Lyft or Uber, but it's going to run you at least, um, you know, 100 bucks in Uber to go back and forth. Each mm-hmm. night uh from San francisco to to the area that they were in um you can rent cars right there at the airport, so that's probably a better option. but the downside to that is then parking um parking was a nightmare at the hotel, and uh, actually going anywhere in San Francisco and trying to find parking can be a nightmare um it's pretty much going to run you like twenty thirty dollars anywhere you're going to try and park mm-hmm. so, um I think I think I would go if you haven't been uh I would go back uh if it doesn't line up in conflict again. I think this will be the last time I ever do back to back majors like this. um I think I will definitely have to plan a little bit better in the future, but uh no it was a it was a good time,
1: yeah well, I guess um with that being done, uh t- switching gears a bit, so this week. Or last two weeks, really. Um, we've had a couple of new, I guess, reveals and releases that I think are worth talking about from a Thousand sons perspective. First, uh, two sets of new models that uh, have me excited, at least, uh, given my usual penchant for customizing everything that, well, the Warp and back in this case. Uh, one are these
0: um, uh, Rubric Marine Havocs?
1: I mean, I'd I love that, but uh, I'm afraid that's not quite what we got. It's a little more disappointing, but still really cool. Um, oh. we, we have potential new recruits for the Cult of Zinch. Uh, so, the first one is the Corvus Cabal models that are being released for this Warhammer Warcry game, which I still don't know much about. But uh, I'm sure plenty of y'all have seen them, but these models are fantastic. Um, with just a little work, you can easily convert them into cultists or what I'll probably want to be using for is as bits fodder for converting my guys into something better for like kill team or even just cool uh, cult sergeants.
0: They look like feathery birdmen. Hey, right up that route of uh...
1: that, that one guy, he really wants to be a bird. Like he, he has his bird feet, stilts and everything got some cool weapons i actually like the prospect of doing some head swaps yeah um, for sure Yep.
0: do you think do you think you would just run them straight up like could you just say hey these count as cult cultists oh yeah or? a
1: brutal uh, close combo weapon cultists definitely nice. um and uh there's fantastic models i'm really excited to get to have a look at them i'm interested to see how much they're going to cost though because mm-hmm. because the quality of the sculpts i be worried that they're gonna wind up on the fifty to sixty dollar range for the box of eight, uh nine of them which is important there are nine.
0: Yeah yeah that's Crazy a disease. that's a good number. Um, but, uh, it does uh it does bring up the fact that uh, you were mentioning cultists wasn't the other wasn't that yes, sir. the other the other one?
1: Yep so cultists are getting new models um granted it's as part of a blackstone fortress expansion However, with what we've seen with the previous Blackstone Fortress, Mo- Chaos Space Marines models that were released there have become part of the normal Chaos Space Marine. Lotus. You can, for instance, bring a Chaos Space Marine Lord with a Thunderhammer, something that was only possible through Blackstone Fortress originally. So these guy- cultists are really cool. Most co- The models are fantastic. I love them. Um, but they now have three special weapon options in addition to, uh, the somewhat maligned flamer and the even more maligned heavy stubber. We now have the option of, of a grenade launcher, which is, uh, I'm sure chaos players might not know because no one, we don't have grenade launchers like the M- Imperium does. Evidently, we lost that technology somewhere in the warp somewhere. Uh, throw, your like a uh, real it's just, throw your grenade like a real man. Throw your grenade like a real man. Uh, the grenade launcher is an assault weapon, meaning that you can now move your cultist around and shoot a 24-inch range crack grenade. as just icing on the cake for your cult units.
0: That's fantastic.
1: That Very is cool. fantastic. Which I, I do like the uh, them expanding out the options for special weapons on pretty much any unit because it, it gives you, well more options and you know, more options i feel is always good there's probably some good conversions you can
0: do too with the, those new cultists um, oh yeah maybe, maybe kind of tapping a little bit of um uh, there was a guide i think duncan did where he took um uh, he, he took bits from different um, different kits and he showed how you could kind of clip uh clip different pieces on and uh do some really cool zinch conversions to them. yeah
1: as i recall that uh video which i was inspired to actually get the bits to do it myself were uh, taking gene sealer cultists and then combining them with um Cal- uh, caldor uh, gang members and then just a couple of little chaos fiddly bits here and there to sort of tie it all together and that's a really cool cultist model
0: i definitely thought one of the coolest things was um and i didn't notice this until i until i saw this video and then looked closer um, the icon of flame for these angors and how they clip the zinch symbols mm-hmm. on the bottom of the icon is just like a whole like runner of zinch insignia that's on there yeah. and i just found that really really cool uh that hey that if you need a zinch symbol that's where you can go to get one
1: mm-hmm. but uh the other big splash in the modeling community is the fact that contrast paints are gonna come out and be a thing, yeah, uh, which two thin coats no longer need apply now one thick coat that's all you need yeah. and uh if you're an from a thousand suns perspective, we actually have a couple of cool options here. so the obvious one of course, the night lord's blue is a fantastic base coat. Um, and then combine that with uh, Theromatic Blue or Talisar Blue will give you a tr- very nice traditional or uh, new Thousand Suns uh, paint scheme fairly easily, especially on like your larger models. I think we were discussing like Rhinos
0: um,
1: mm-hmm. earlier, but it also it would work nicely for really anything that you're not wanting to base coat gold, which in my case means everything. But I know yeah. some of you young whippersnappers like to base coat gold first. Just notice anything off from of that?
0: I like gold.
1: <laughs> but uh, overall, I think this um, paint range will actually go a long ways towards making the uh, hobby a little more accessible. Um, I don't think it'll necessarily replace um, traditional painting, but it'll allow you to sort of skip a bunch of steps whenever you're trying to mass produce a ton of models in a short period of time
0: yeah what I like about it is it's really gonna work well for the stuff that you hate painting like mm. light bearers, pink horrors, blue horrors like lots of horde armies are just suddenly going to look a million times better just based on the fact that you can get like all sorts of highlights and and layering and all sorts of stuff out of just like two steps with every single one of them um, however, this does pose a very interesting question like. A common requirement we see at a lot of events is that you have to have your models painted to three colors. Um, this is like LVO. <laughs> so I guess you, you just figured out where I'm going with this. Um, even though I get three effects out of the, um, I essentially get a color shading and highlighting out of a contrast. Uh, does that count as one layer or so, one color?
1: The, so the painting rubric has always been less about the nitty gritty of you must have three colors, more about your models must look decent on the tabletop. Oh yeah, like, I, I, to I'm show. totally with you. Yeah. Uh, so I don't I, 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 I kind of, except for a couple of niche cases like pink horrors, I don't think anyone's going to show up to a tournament with just Alright, I slapped some Volipus pink on these horrors and now they're done. I mean, Uh, there's like gold bangles, and there's teeth and the eyes and it would take very little effort to actually paint your pink horrors up to the painting metric even uh, by skipping all these steps.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um,
1: Really, I think that what you'll see is the people that already had well-painted models will continue to have well-painted models and the people who gave the very bare minimum of effort will continue to give the very bare minimum <laughs> of effort. Well, at least with makes with so that, that, that bottom like yeah. rung of painters will be sort of forcibly moved up a rung in terms of how well the models look.
0: I guess that's good. At least at that, a I we can all enjoy. So.
1: yeah I'm I'm looking forward to this the end in yellow. Um, I hate painting yellow more than I words can describe.
0: You yeah. have a, a lot of in you're trying
1: to paint right now. No, I've got a whole gaggle of Sisters of Battle that I picked a yellow paint scheme for years ago because I'm a masochist, and um, <laughs> I would like to see them painted one day. Yellow Sisters. <laughs> yeah, well, see, they're angry sisters, and so that's the joke is that they're iratus sororitas, and so they just oh, man. assault people. There's even a thing for it now. They get like plus one strength, and they other stuff <laughs> you are a gem. I, I like to think that i have a good time <laughs> but uh let's see other than that um i don't really have much else cool going on for thousand suns
0: yeah so it's uh, one of the things i did pick up on that was that's been happening uh just in the last little roam of thousand suns stuff um there are some folks take, doing some interesting things with some of their lists. Uh, we are still seeing lots of folks take lots of rubric marines. Um, yeah. We're seeing more, I, I think we're seeing a bunch of lists that are exploring more of those concepts. Uh, again, at San Antonio, we saw uh, a list that, in place of space marines, actually had rubric marines in there, which was really cool, um, which you typically wouldn't see before. Um, There was one that stuck out that I thought was really interesting, and that was a list that essentially had a Spartan Assault Tank and Magnus, and in the Spartan Assault Tank were 10 Terminators. Um, This list had a total of about four drops, if I did the math correctly, Um, (laughs) and you basically had to choose, do I kill the Spartan Tank or do I kill Magnus? And... Either choice is going to be a bad one because if you don't if you don't kill the other, there's a lot of bad stuff coming at you from the other one. Mm -hmm. And uh I just really appreciated that list. I think he took third this past weekend at a uh at a major um with that list. So hats off to you, sir. That was a very well done, classy Thousand Sons list. Um (laughs) aside from that, um we still see them popping up as Mit souped in. I think soup is still the, still the thing. And like we talked about before, you know, chaos nights coming.
1: Yeah. I do think that even with the changes to monofaction for IDC soup is still going to be sort of the spice of life in terms of getting consistent success at a tournament. Um, uh, effectively we'll still obviously see outliers. Um, but, um, I think that for most people, the ability to fill in the gaps in a particular list—list list strengths and weaknesses—will um, still be preferable to sort of gunning for monofaction.
0: So, we we saw a, a Chaos Space Marine 2.0 update with the along with the campaign stuff that came out. Do, mm-hmm. you, do you still get a sense that? Well, I would think at a minimum we'll see some kind of material added some some kind of campaign material to help us out a specialist attachment or something like that in, a, in an upcoming campaign but do you get a sense that thousand suns may get a codex 2.0 treatment like cast space marines did
1: i think that they i think that every codex eventually will um with the Transition from the old model of 40k to a much more, be much closer to Age of Sigmar, where effectively, as opposed to revamping the entire edition every five years or so, they instead just sort of treat it as a living game that they provide updates to. Because mm-hmm. um, even the changing like editions of rule books using quotation marks really isn't a overhaul of the rules, it's more of just making sure that all the rules that have applied previously are in one place. Um, I think that eventually that the Thousand Suns will get a Re- Codex 2.0 where they'll probably get access to some of these fun new toys. Um, a unit in particular that I think that they'd eventually get is cribbing off of the Blackstone Fortress release would be the Heretic Psychers from there. Um, and so, for instance, the, the Blackstone Fortress is actually fairly interesting. The box games uh, so historically have done a good job of sort of indicating where the interest is at the Games Workshop design studio, um, and I think that that will. Uh, there are indications that, for instance, Dark Mechanicum is on the horizon, and that um, there are other releases that are kind of, kind of come out that will sort of the box games are a preview for.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, well, we're seeing that with uh, Chaos Knights as well, yeah. but, you know, they, re- they initially just kind of gave us a uh, a little supplement or an index, and it was kind of mm-hmm. like, they, they kind of saw, well, wow, there's this big contingent of people that really want to run Chaos Knights. And yeah, we yeah, need to ship a codex
1: for them. I, I kind of think that that was always the plan because Games Workshop tends to sort of design their business strategy like two years in advance. Okay, but the, the, the big thing is that they sort of are looking for the proper time to actually release it.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I'm sure they've got stuff on the shelves for almost every army that they have ideas and concepts that could come out at any point. But
1: yeah, I think that the uh, only army that they were sort of surprised that uh, come the new edition was the interest in sisters of battle because of the big deal they're making out of their release. But I think the other armies, because they tend to get fairly consistent releases, um, they don't need to feel the need to have that level of publicity in the design process.
0: And you're probably spot on with that uh, based on the fact that they're slowly rolling out updates to the sister models that they're Mm -hmm. designing. They're giving leaks and screenshots and stuff of the different models. And my guess is they're doing that as they're designing and like approving the models and saying, okay, you know, run this thing to production or get this yeah. ready for production, that kind of thing. Um, and, and they knew that, oh, well, we were caught off guard there, so now we're going to roll those out, but it's going to take us a year, so we'll just kind of slow roll the, the updates out so people know, hey, it's coming. We're yeah, making-
1: to keep the interest up, but right. um, not necessarily have to do anything special to get them out ahead of schedule.
0: And, you know, even at that, I thought they did a great job on the sisters' rules, like even the beta codex is, Oh yeah. You know, pretty damn playable um mm-hmm. they've got some cool stuff that they can do
1: yeah so. i do think that the sisters have gone through their traditional um addition comp- paradigm shift like what was good in the previous codex is no longer good in the right. same way um and so that scene effectively it's sort of a system shock for sisters players if anybody's done it played them for long enough or be used to it but uh i'm have I'm really liking what their games workshop is doing with their releases currently. Um, the fact that they're being very transparent and providing models that people are getting actually excited about as opposed to, right. Oh, it's another Lieutenant.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, I, I definitely am uh, one to hope for a uh, thousand sons 2.0. Um, and I would hope yeah. have- that. They the feedback that we've been sending and other people have been sending is is enough to at least let them know that hey you know you've got these models like to your last point you've got these models like the Assyrian dreadnoughts mm-hmm. the, the um, psychic robots you know all that stuff on the Forge World side that a lot of people are excited about those kind of things and those would be great you know easy port overs for 40k to just hey give them a psychic dreadnought.
1: Yeah, I mean it That's only ended up selling more models because, yeah. especially with Custodes getting their entire 30k model range in 40k, uh, it it's such a sort of obvious gimme to uh, make rules for the Assyrian.
0: Yeah, I gr- I completely agree with that. I thought that was yeah. a great precedence that they th- that they set, and um, you know to to set that kind of teaser there that hey you could potentially have everything from 30k come over to 40k Mm -hmm. um which is interesting on the 30k front because they it seems like they are starting to roll that stuff out again um they have white scars that have just dropped Mm -hmm. Uh, they've got some models there um it is at you know albeit a very slow pace but it's interesting that we're starting to see updates there
1: yeah I think what happened with the 30k because I've been playing a little 30k with some people I know down in the uh, goldmine games is that they sort of went through a sis again sort of a system shock with the new edition the fact that all of these books and rules they were writing for effectively became obsolete before they were even released um, and so what's I think they had to sort of evaluate where are we and what do we want to do with this alternative rule set going forward. And now they've figured out what they want to do. And so they can resume making new releases for it.
0: Yeah. and I could see it being kind of a a slippery slope when you talk about porting some of that stuff over, because Mm -hmm. what do you do with stuff where it's like, um, you know, the forge world space Marine chapters that they have like the, you know, um, the Minotaurs and um, a few others that are over Yeah,
1: there. the, the Raptors sure or so the other uh, uh, Carcharodons. I, I think the uh, ultimately what they'll wind up doing is that they will probably release rules for them at some point. Um, however, I don't think it's very high on their priority. That uh, Because of the shift that has sort of gone on at Gamers Workshop Corporate, um, I think they're trying to sort of distance Forge World some from the rules writing for uh, the 40K game itself because Forge World comes out with a lot of cool models. However, historically, the what will inevitably happen is the meta will latch on to, like, this model is overpowered and mm-hmm. just pound on it over and over and over and over and over again until it's done to death then some rules will change or codecs come out, they'll do that and it just obsolete and then there's some new, this is the new OP Forge World thing of the month mm-hmm. and it's not a healthy dynamic and I think Games Workshop has latched, figured that out.
0: Yeah, but they're also not all that too far off from being able to say, hey, look, GW can, the main rule writers can take control of the point costs and the weapons. Uh, yeah. And I think that uh, like the, the loadout cost, basically.
1: Yeah. Which and I think forever. is why the uh, chapter approved is started putting the, the points out for the models. In fact, the forge world can put whatever rules they want on a thing, but ultimately they're not the one who decides the final points cost.
0: Right. And and at the end of the day, you could balance anything that way um, mm-hmm. you know, with, a, with enough, Enough of a point adjustment, you can basically even the best thing, like sure. look at it. Um, look at the greater demon as each. Um, <laughs> you know, like he's 1500 points and he's Is he worth 1500 points? No, obviously not. I mean, he, he doesn't do as much as 1500 points in any other army would do, but yeah, it, it's a way of them just saying, Hey, you know, this guy is just gonna sit on the sidelines. He's a fun thing. You, if you want to run him, here you go. Here's yeah. how many points he costs, but.
1: And I think the, the, reason, the reason why they adjust the points but not the power levels of these models is in order to say that, hey, if you're playing a tournament where every, balance is very important, they dissuade versus models like that because they can't potentially unbalance the results. However, from a like fun narrative thing that you get together and like, hey, we're going to tell a story with these models, the power levels are, have been remained the same because they're sort of supposed to give you a guidelines for... This is about this how powerful it's supposed to be. Uh, it's like the, the, the um, APOC game that we ran last year, where it's like, are the points the same? Probably not, but we had a fun scenario to play in, so we sort of just knocked it out and had fun with it.
0: Yeah, there was enough going on in a game that big that the balance... I think the bigger the game is, the less you'll feel the balance when you have yeah. multiple harmonies. Uh, I mean, there's so many different different ways of looking at it, but that's kind of my take, is you, you'll you'll start to feel a lot less of the, the imbalance in the game with certain things, the bigger it is, because certain things can hide, there's less of an effect happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we had the case in point in that uh, Apocalypse game, we had the Reaver Titan just standing there, and, you know, once everything just unloaded everything into it, yeah, it went down. But it wasn't like at the same point the Reaver Titan was just deleting everything. Um, yeah, it was just deleting what it was there to delete. So, mm-hmm. um, but so. with that, um, the only other thing I was gonna gonna mention was um, the new format of Apocalypse is coming out soon, isn't it? Have they? It is.
1: It um, so previously, Chapter Approved has had sort of a limited rule set for Apocalypse. However, uh, they looks like they're finally putting out a full rule set for apocalypse games, likely with new scenarios um apocalyptic like the world is ending. here's what's happening uh type things mm-hmm. and so those things can really spice up a a game and um uh, i'm I'm looking forward to it. I own every edition of Apocalypse has ever come out um because even though their apocalypse games should be f- sort of few and far between. They are very, they're the games that I always look back on. It's like, yeah, I had a cool time in that game.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even in our experience that I can definitely ditto that. So so one last thing here before we uh, wrap things up, Um, just a reminder to you folks, Warzone Houston is coming up uh, July 12th through the 14th. Uh, It is here in the great city of Houston, Texas. Uh, As you've probably heard us mention before, uh, it is hosted uh, in a great part of town, uh, which is easily accessible from the airport, so it's pretty easy to just fly in, get to the venue, hang out there. There's some food in the area there. Um, I believe the food there at the hotel is pretty decent. It's in a Wyndham. Um, The event is always a lot of fun. Uh, They've got a 40K tournament, a Sigmar. I think they even have a 30K tournament.
1: Uh, Uh, It's a 30 K narrative event, I believe. Ooh, even better. So I also Uh, believe it's already sold out.
0: Oh no, even worse. (laughs) Well, you could possibly contact them, maybe get on a wait list of some kind or something for that. But um, uh, I know that last year, looking at that narrative that they had and the the terrain that they had and everything, it, it was one heck of a cool event. They had
1: a one hell of a time. Yeah. So
0: hopefully if you're thinking about it or you're on the fence or you're looking for something to do that weekend, um, come to Houston, uh, join us for Warzone Houston. Mike and I will both be there. You Uh, The whole whole cast from uh, the FMP gamers, they'll all be there. Um, We got some great stuff that'll be uh, getting given out the great prize support there. So, uh, you know, it's always kind of one of the more fun uh, fun tournaments that we have straight-up ITC missions, that kind of thing. So it's, it's going to be a good time. Mm-hmm.
1: But David, what yeah. What army will I bring? I think um, I'll have to roll a dice.
0: Oh, God. You're <laughs> going to roll Catachan. That's what's yeah. going to
1: happen. That'd be really awkward, because I still haven't really started working on them yet. Yeah. But uh, you know what? I've got a month I can do this. Just Completely just quit my job, just paint nothing but Catachans <laughs> for the next four weeks. Get this shit done.
0: Oh, man. Well, I, I haven't decided yet. I could I could take the same army I've been playing, which I might just end up doing just for the sake of scoring well. Uh, yeah. I do have my Minotaurs under construction, but I'm not sure they're going to
1: be ready. So I would take a new army to a tournament because I don't care. However, right. I would not recommend that you take a uh
0: Well, it depends on what a, my attitude army. is. Right? This is true. Like, this is true. I might I I was thinking the other day another fun list would be like an Iron Warriors warsmith that lost his mind and broke a fell blade out of storage and
1: you should do that
0: take a Iron Warrior fell blade with you know whatever else I can throw in there and just go have a good time
1: you, you should uh, do that I endorse this plan <laughs> so it just depends
0: you have on have you know, the,
1: the, the, the Mike seal of approval
0: the, the Mike seal approval got it well there was a guy at LVO that brought just a Warhound Titan so. <laughs> I mean if you're if you're going to go have a good time that's a good way to just go have a good time you
1: know Yeah yeah that's uh that's a hell of a thing
0: I just know the one philosophy that I go by Mike it's the most important one of everything Oh oh yeah Magnus did nothing wrong
1: Magnus did nothing wrong